No, her husband died. Her husband died. Kathleen's a real prayer warrior. She's real close to God. She's one of them old time ladies wears her hair back in a bun on the back of her head. Real Christian like dress. Modest apparel, brother. You don't see her, she wears those sleeves down here. I mean, she just got that old school, you know. She was raised that way. Her husband died, and the family said, Kathleen, we'll go with you. She had a little mountain cottage up there near Pigeon Forge. She said, they said, we'll go with you and stay a couple of nights. She said, no, I'm going to face this by myself. She said, me and the Lord's going to face this. It'll be all right, children. And she went up there, and she said she got to that little old picket fence light, got through it, and got the old skeleton key out, and stuck it in the old door. She said she began to really have some second thoughts right then. She said, I'm going to see the chair where he sat. I'm going to see the kitchen table where he sat. She said, I'm going to see his picture up there. And she said, Lord, how am I going to make it? And she just mustered up her faith and she turned that old key. And she opened the door and she said, Kathleen said, it was as though there was a voice from eternity that said, Kathleen, Kathleen, I'll never leave thee and I'll never forsake thee. And, oh, listen, in her valley of despair, guess what? The Lord showed up. The Lord showed up. I close now with the fifth Bible valley. Very familiar passage of Scripture, Psalms 23, verse number 4. That great psalm, Psalm 23. David now is not a young man no more. He's an older man. He's reminiscing about his young days of working in the sheepfold, taking him from the lower ground to the higher ground. He comes to verse number 4 and he said, Yea, that's affirmative. Yea, the why, that's personal. Yea, the why, walk, that's positive. He's not going to stagger. He's not going to crawl. Yea, the why, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about how he used to take those lambs up to the higher grounds. And they'd come in between them valleys and mountains up there. The jackal, the hyena, the bear would roar out. Them little old defenseless lambs would raise their little timid heads. But they wasn't afraid. You know why? They seen the rod swinging from David's side. They saw the staff in David's hand. And, and they knew that their shepherd would fight for them if need be, die for them. Now David's an older man. He's coming down to the valley of the shadow of death. But he said, wait a minute. He said, it's just a shadow. He said, I won't have to fear no evil for thou art with me. Thou art with me. I was reading one day and Dr. Mr. Spurgeon said, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the shadows, shadows of a bee can't sting you. Shadow of a gun can't shoot you. Shadow of a knife can't hurt you. He said, the shadow of death ain't going to have no harm upon us. Oh, no. I was reading this afternoon, no brother Vance having her. He said, it's the passageway. He said, it is the passport. He said, to paradise. He said, that's what death is. It's the passport to paradise. I got to think about it. I almost shouted in there in that motel room this afternoon reading old Vance's book. And I got to think about it. That's really what it is. It's the passport from this world to the next. One man said death is just the closet where we step in and unchange and disrobe and move into the next world. Oh, listen. Shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, tonight I'm holding my hand over this pulpit, this rostrum, and there's a shadow right down here. There's my hand. There's substance here, but up here's light. You see, and there's a shadow across this here. One of these days, one of these days, I am going, if the Lord don't come, I'll enter into that valley of the shadow of death. I'll come down to that place. But you know what? It'll only be a shadow. Now listen, the death angel will be there. Not just physical death, but the eternal death angel will be there. But we'll like to carry my soul off to hell. Drag it to the pit, to the abyss. 
But you know what? I can see someone saying, hands off. Hands off. And there's light across the presence of death. And it's the Son of God. I'm talking about, I believe. Oh, Dad used to sing that old song, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died on my sin to atone. When the darkness I see, He'll be waiting on me. And I won't have to cross Jordan. You say, preacher, what do you know about it? You're a young man. You've not been there yet. No, sir. No, ma'am, I've not. But I've been there with others. I've been there with others. I have lived long enough to be with some as they were about to make the crossing. I got the call a few years ago. An older preacher in our community had had a severe stroke. He was paralyzed on one whole side. They were taken into the emergency room. He called the family, called for me. I got there. They were bringing out the ambulance, taking him into the emergency room. And the family said, stop him. Stop him right here. He wants to say something to this preacher. And the doctor said he may die. They said, stop him. Let him talk. And this whole side was paralyzed. He began to try to murmur out this out of his mouth. And I got down over him. He said, in all this, I've not sinned nor charged God foolishly. And he just kind of winked at me. Just a twinkle in his eye. A couple more hours. He's gone, brother. He done made the cross and done skipped out. Done skipped out. Remember when Dad, I left him at 9.15 to 9.30 that night. That was on Friday, Saturday morning, early, 1.30, they called me. And I got there two miles from the hospital. I got there. When I left Daddy, I, I mean, sweat was a poured off of him. He was begging me for something to drink. But I got there, and they just wrote him out intensive care and put him in a little old room. And I run in there. And before God, there was a peace and a serenity. And there was just a smile across his face. And, and I can look back now and listen. When I was there, it wasn't dying time yet. It was a few more hours down the road. But when it was time to make the cross, and God's grace was sufficient there. Oh, preacher Jim Lowe that I told you about the other night. Preacher Lowe that had his legs chopped off. I was talking about preacher Lowe. Might near blind, got him that roll off New Testament Bible, had everything he had, rolled a wheel to brother roll off. Harry Love, preacher roll off. And I'd run over there, man, they'd shout the victory and all that, but he came down to die. Came down to die. They were both in the hospital. Sister Lowe was in one bed, preacher Lowe was in the other. St. Mary's Hospital. I went there, my pastor was there, and Deacon Harvey came was there. And preacher Lowe had already begun the fluid backing up in his lungs, and he was gurgling some as he tried to talk. He said, would you boy set me up? Set me up. We propped him up with some pillows. And he said, Buster, he said, you better get your shouting shoes on or your funeral message ready. He said, either the Lord Jesus is coming back after all of us or he said, I'm getting ready to make the crossing. I began to cry and I said, Preacher Lowe, you can't leave me. He was my prayer warrior. I, he called me sometimes said, how meeting's going? I said, they're kind of slow, Preacher. He said, we'll talk to the Father about that. And before God, the phone start ringing and meetings just start coming in. I remember one time he said, how's the old car doing? I said, it's got about 150-something thousand miles on it. He just stopped talking to me and he said, now, Father, I couldn't drive one if I had one. He said, Lord, you know I ain't got no legs. He said, I'm going to be one of the only preachers to go up a piece at a time, here a piece and there a piece. But he said, my boy, he said, my preacher boy needs a car. What long after that that God worked it out and I was able to get another car. Hey, he could pray, brother. He knew God. He came down to dine. He propped him up in there. He said, I'm going to sing you boys a song. I said, what you going to sing, Preacher Law? And he began to sing, How Great Thou Art. I tell you, I never felt like running and shouting. We did shout, but I felt like running. I knew if I did, I'd wind up on the eighth floor. They put me in that psychiatric hospital. Man, I, I don't, and I know angels ain't got wings, but if they had wings, I got a mouthful of feathers that day, buddy. I'm telling you the glory of God. Sister Wani just sit up in the bed, got the clap of them little old hands. The preacher was a singing, how great thou art. Finally he had to stop and lean down and he kissed me on the cheek. He said, I'll see you. He said, I'll see you. Three days I had to go from there. I left to go to America's Georgia. 
My pastor called me one night. He was crying. He said, he made the crossing. He said, you've got to come home and help us with the funeral. He said, you want me to tell you what he said last? You want me to tell you now? What do you get home? I said, Lord, no, tell me now. i got to know. He said, he went into a coma. He said, he was kind of coming and going. He said, just before he died, he was murmuring and talking. He said, I got over him. He said, he was saying, come, sweet Jesus. Come, sweet Jesus. Come. And right after that, he was gone. Slipped right on out, brother. Well, Brother Doug McDarris, a good friend of mine, pastoring now in Mississippi. Brother Doug's daddy was Ozeb McDarris. Ozeb used to pastor two or three churches up there in the mountains. Oh, mountaineer exhorter. He had just shouted a victory and sang them old mountain songs. He came down to die. He came down sick and they had him in the hospital. And the family would come by, Brother Doug and brothers and sisters, and they'd say, Dad, how you doing? They'd say, Children, I ain't doing no good. I ain't doing no good. And they said, the doctor's not been good, the nurse's not been good. Oh, he said, it's not that. They said, what's wrong, Daddy? He said, children, I've been walking up and down the banks of the river, and I can't find no place to cross. He said, I ain't doing no good. And boy, they, they knew something was getting close then. And another day or two, they came in, and he was getting weaker now, and he was just getting more weak every day. And they come by one day, and Brother Doug said he stopped by and saw his daddy. He said, Daddy, how you doing today? So he was real weak. So he had a glow in his eyes, a smile on his face. He said, Son, am I doing fine? I'm a doing fine. He said, what about it, Daddy? He said, son, this morning I found the place to cross. He said, this morning, son, I found the place to cross. They called all the family in that night. They knew what was coming down. They knew what was getting ready to happen. He slipped out into a coma. They were just kind of standing around, you know. He'd come and go a little bit. That's the last, right? Just that's the last. He sat up in the bed and propped him. They helped prop him up. And he said, children, can you see him? Children, can you see him? They said, no, Dad, we can't see him. He said, children, they've come to get me. And he said, my feet's in the water and I've got to go. And he waved goodbye and just, he was gone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Mr. Watchman Nee, that great Chinese preacher. Mr. Watchman Nee, I was reading one of his books one day and he said in his early ministry, he said, God, Heavenly Father, I want the very best you have for Watchman Nee. Give me the very best, Lord. You know what happened right after that? Everything went haywire. Everything went wrong. All kind of reversements and problems. He went back to God in prayer and he was crying. And he said, dear God, I thought I asked for your best. What's happening? He said, the Holy Spirit said, watch my knee. This is God's very best to make you to be the very best for God. Hey, friend, haven't we asked God to use us? Haven't we asked God to anoint us with power? Haven't we asked God to let us bring glory to Him? Sometimes He takes the millstone of suffering and He runs it across us and He grinds us to powder to make bread out of us to feed hungry souls. I could go on. There's the friend in the valley. There's the friend in that valley. And there's the future of the valleys. One day you're going to go through your last valley. <laughs> go through the last valley, brother. Step out on the mountain of all mountains in glory land, in Canaan's land, brother, on the other side. I want them to come tonight. You come and get a song of invitation ready. I don't know what to do now. We'll just come tonight and play something, sing a verse in a moment maybe. I come down to a close now. I heard this illustration, and it's very relevant to what I'm talking about. Up in the mountains, there was an old mountain grandmother, and she had her babysitting her granddaughter that day. She had her quilting loom up. She was piecing some quilts, you know, and patching some quilt together there and working. 
and she had it up on that table like, and she was up on a stool, and little granddaughter was playing down the floor. And about an hour or so went by, and the little granddaughter looked up and said, Mamma, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. All she could see, you know, was where Mamma clipped this, and she tied this off, and the little cut edges, you know, jagged edges, and Mamma didn't pay attention. She just kept on working, you know, and piecing and patching that quilt together. And a little more time went by, and the little granddaughter said, Mamma, it's getting worse. It looks worse than it ever did. And she said, honey, she put her needle down. She said, come up here. She got the granddaughter up into her lap. And the little granddaughter looked down. And she saw the picture. She saw what all was being put together. And she said, Granny, it's beautiful. She said, well, Mamma, it's beautiful. And she said, Mamma, why couldn't I see that from down there? She said, she said honey, she said she was looking from the wrong side. She said, you was looking from the bottom side up. You ever looked up? Here's some. Here's a broken edge here. Here's some tattered ends here. Maybe here's a little child that died or a husband or wife or some problem. You don't understand. You don't understand. It looks bad. It looks bad. Oh, when we get on the other side. When we get on the other side, the Holy Ghost lets us look back. We're going to say, you mean, God, that's what that was all about? You mean, Lord, this is what you was doing in my life? Now we're looking from the bottom side. One day we'll get to look from the other side. Are you in the valley tonight? Are you in the valley? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Do you need help? I'm so glad that he's the God of all the valleys. You know, sometimes, just every now and then, I need to make a trip to just say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the valley. Thank you that you love me enough, that you've concerned me about me enough to make me more like Christ. Thank you for the valley. Let's bow our heads tonight. I'm preaching. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're playing softly tonight. I don't know where you're at in your Christian life. I felt deeply impressed to preach this this afternoon as I prayed and waited before the Lord. I wonder if there'd be somebody tonight who said, Preacher, seat, and God sent that message for me. God spoke to my heart tonight, Preacher. I'm in the valley. Some things I'm going through, Preacher, and God's helped me tonight. He's working in my life. Please help me to pray, Preacher, that I'll do right in the valley. That I'll not pull away from God. You know, if we're not careful, the devil will tell us God doesn't love us and God's mad at us. And, and we'll let the, the valley experience drive us away from God instead of letting it get cross to God. I wonder if there'd be one that said, Preacher, pray for me. God spoke to my heart tonight. Is there one anywhere here tonight in this service? Preacher, pray for me. I'm in the valley. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Somebody else? God bless you, son. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. Well, I'm glad you... God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. Listen, Jesus is a friend that understands. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Well, if we're not real careful, we'll begin to let bitterness get. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy, please. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 10, chapter number 11. Deuteronomy, chapter number 11. And then 1 Kings, chapter number 20. Two different places I wish to read from tonight. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 11. And 1 Kings, chapter number 20. Appreciate each one of you being here tonight. Good to see the church house almost filled. 
Appreciate the good song service and all that the Lord's doing for us and in us and helping us in these days. Deuteronomy chapter number 11, verse number 10. I want to read from there first. Would you stand with me, please, as we read tonight? Then we'll go to 1 Kings chapter number 20. The Bible said in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 11, verse number 10, For the land, whether thou goest in to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt from which she came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land, whether you go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. Now, we understand here that Moses is giving the warnings, he's exhorting the nation of Israel that one day they're going to go over into the land of Canaan. And he says here that it is the land of hills and valleys, even in the land of Canaan. Now, we understand Canaan to be that victorious Christian life and living in Canaan's land. Now, wait a minute. There's not only hills in Canaan, but there's valleys, valleys in the land of Canaan. And look with me in the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 20. I'll not take the time to uh, bring all of this out in chapter 20, but you've got a wicked king by the name of Benadad. He's the king of Syria. And he's come up against another wicked king by the name of Ahab, who is the king of Israel. But God has chosen to give Israel the victory. And they've won the victory. In chapter number 20, verse 22, let's read. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. Now, here's what the man of God saying. He said, Listen, Ahab, God's given you the victory. But at the return of the year, this time next year, this king is going to come back against you again. Isn't that just like the devil? After every great victory, after every great victory, whether it's collective or personal, the devil will be right on the heels of that. He never gives up. But look at verse 23. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods, speaking of Israel now, are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. Now, their philosophy was, listen, Benadad, they're gods. They were wrong there. They weren't gods. There was one God, the Lord God, Jehovah. But they said their gods are gods of the hills or of the mountains. If we can get them out of the hills or the mountains and get them in the plain or in the valley, in other words, then we'll be able to defeat them. Look at verse 28. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all of this great multitude into thy hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. I want to preach tonight on the ministry of God in your valley. The ministry of God in the valley, or why the valleys come. Well, let's bow for a moment, please, to pray. Our Father, tonight we bow before you to thank you for this privilege, Lord, to be back in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the good songs of Zion that have stirred our heart, Lord, and refreshed us tonight. We thank you for all of this number of people, Lord, that have come out tonight to hear us. 
Lord, I recognize tonight my inadequacies. I recognize, Lord, my limitations tonight. Lord, I need you. I wait before you tonight. Lord, I stand where the arm of flesh will surely fail me. I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd anoint us and give us that liberty that the Lord Jesus might be exalted and magnified. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd minister in the hearts and lives of your people. I pray tonight, Lord, if there's anyone here lost, that, Lord, you'd give the invitation to their soul to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now that you'd help us. We wait before you. Give us that direction, Lord, and we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I want to take these two portions of Scripture and just use them as a springboard tonight to preach on the ministry of God in the valley. Or why do the valleys come? You know, the devil's tried to convince the Lord's people that our God is only a God of the mountain and he's not a God of the valley. You see, that was the philosophy of the Syrians here. They said, if we can get these Israelites out of these mountains and get them down in the plain or the lowland, then we'll be able to defeat them. And you know, the devil tries to tell us that, that our God is only a God of the mountains. Well, I want to say tonight, he is the God of the mountain. I love to go to the mountains. I live there in East Tennessee at the foothills of the Smokies and love to get over in the Blue Ridge Mountains and all around in there. Our God is the God of the mountain. I got to looking through my concordance one day and I thought about the mountaintop experiences. I thought about over there in Genesis 22 when you have Mount Moriah. I call, I call that the mountain of preview. How would you like to have been there that day on Mount Moriah as Abraham carried up Isaac and, and began to offer him up there and heard the voice of the Lord that saying, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. I'd like to have been there hiding behind a bush that day when Abraham took that knife of judgment and he cut the cords of love that had Isaac bound and they took the sacrificial ram and offered it up. I'd like to have been there as Abraham and Isaac shouted the victory. What a great mountaintop. Then I thought about in Exodus chapter 19, on Mount Sinai. I call that the mountain of precepts. When Moses went up on that mountain and the hand of God came down and began to write in the tablet of stone. How would you like to have been there to have seen that? Or on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18, the mountain of prayer and the mountain of power, seen the controversy between the God Baal and the Lord God. And Elijah said, you go ahead. You go ahead and build your altar first. Pray unto your God. Why they prayed and called on Baal. But in the afternoon, Elijah bowed down upon his knees, prayed about 63 words, and the fire of God. God fell, brother, on Mount Carmel. And Israel cried, the Lord, he is God. How would you like to have been there and seen the power from the prayer of Elijah when the fire fell? Then over in the New Testament, the mountain of transfiguration. In Matthew chapter 17, I call that the mountain of presentation. How would you like to have been with Peter, James, and John when Jesus said, let's go up into the mountain. They got up there and began to pray, and the Lord was transfigured figured in front of him. Oh yes, Elijah showed up. And Moses showed up. And they talked with him. But all oh, there was a cloud come down and ascended on that mountain. And when the disciples looked up, they saw no man save Jesus. And there he was, transfigured in front of him. Brighter than fuller soap. Brighter than the noonday sun. 
Oh, what a great mountaintop experience. How would you like to have been there on Mount Golgotha in John chapter 19 and verse 17 when Jesus began to die there? And in John 19, 30, he cried, It is finished. I call that the mountain of purchase. How would you like to have been there when the rocks did rent and the veil was rent off from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the graves were open and many of the dead which slept arose and came out after his resurrection. Oh, I thought about that on Mount Olivet in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. That mountain of promise where the Lord Jesus ascended back into heaven. I tell you, I like the mountaintop experiences. I like it as Brother Mays Jackson said that when it gets so foggy you need a C&I dog to get around. I like it when the glory comes down, friend. I love to shout it out. I love to get up on the mountain oh, where the air seems so crisp and so clean and you feel so close to God. But now wait a minute. Wait a minute. We don't spend a whole lot of time up there. If you're going to travel with God, you won't stay on the mountain long. The mountaintop experiences short-lived and when it's back down in the valley. But you know, I have a good consolation right here. For every one valley, it takes two mountains to make a valley. Praise God. Two mountains to make one valley. So if you're in the valley tonight, listen, you're either in a valley or you just came through a valley or you're getting ready to enter into a valley crisis. I thought about this. The valleys. Every valley is ordained by God. Every valley experience is ordained by God. Sometimes we think we get in a crisis or a situation and God don't know anything about it. Hey, He knows where we're at. He put us where we're at. He knows what's going on. It's ordained by God. That it's overseen by the Lord. He doesn't lose sight of you in the storm. He doesn't lose sight of you in a dark valley. You remember Brother Job? Why, Job said, I've looked this way and I've looked that way. And I don't know. He said, I can't find God. But Job said, He knoweth the way that I take. And when I come forth, I shall be tried as gold. I'm glad the Lord is overseeing the valley. He's ordained the valley. But number three, it becomes an opportunity for God to step out and manifest Himself, make Himself known in your valley experience like never, never before. Honestly, I used to think I'd caught the biggest glimpses of God on the mountain. But I found God to be awful big down in the valley, friend. I mean, when my back was up against the wall, and it seemed like everything was falling in. And then to see that become a platform, an opportunity for God to step out and manifest Himself. Thank God for the valley. Now, you say, Preacher, I'm on the mountaintop, and I don't need this. Just hang on. It won't be long. Oh, may the Holy Ghost bring this back to your remembrance. You'll be needing it for long. You see, I preach from experience. It seems like I live in the valley. It seems like I stay in the valley, but every now and then, He'll let me tip over the top of the mountain and shout a little bit, then back down in the valley. To be honest with you, it seems like the valleys are getting longer. But for the longer the valley, it seems like the higher the next mountain. Amen. Bound to come out sooner or later on top of the mountain. Now, I want to give you two or three things as the Lord will help us tonight. I want to preach, first of all, on the fact. The fact of the valleys. Now, they're not fictional. 
They're not make-believe that valley experiences are real in the Christian life. Now, somewhere or another, back there a few years ago, we got this concept that, well, you get saved and God will make everything all right, and your life will be a bed of roses. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God has predestinated that every one of us be conformed to the image of Christ. And God uses the trials and the tests and the rough places and the valleys to mold us and make us more like the Lord Jesus. And there's the fact of the valleys, the real they're real. You say, preacher, I've not been saved long. Now, there'll be some valleys come into your life. There'll be the hard places, but they're there for a reason. They're there to help us. They're there to mold us and to develop us and to demonstrate God's power like never before. Let me give you very quickly five Bible valleys found in the Word of God. I want to go very quickly to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 3 and verse 14. Now, I know that Joel is dealing very prophetically here. I know he's dealing about the valley of Armageddon, uh, that valley of Jezreel where the blood shall run 200 miles long, 10 miles wide, and 6 foot deep, uh, even to the horse's bridle. But in Joel chapter 3 and verse 14, listen, he said, Multitudes, multitudes uh, in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near uh, in the valley of decision. Uh, now, I want to lift that from out of its context and make a spiritual application. There's valleys of decision where you have to make a choice. I mean, you have to make a decision. But aren't you glad the day of the Lord is near? Aren't you glad that God's near in the valley of decision? I thought about this. There's the decision about salvation. Now, I don't like that phrase. I don't believe Simon Peter said, Lord, decision me. He said, Lord, save me. I'm a sinker. And we have the hour of decision. I'm not fussing at that. But listen, you do have to make the choice. Now, God will convict you, and God will woo you, and God will draw you, but God's going to leave the final decision up to you, friend. And you can either choose or reject to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1, 11, he came to his own, his own received him not, but to as many as received him. But to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but they were born of God. But you have to make the decision. You have to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Oh, yes, when God begins to deal with you, begins to convict you, begins to speak to your heart, the decision about salvation, the decision about surrendering to the will of God. I remember that I got saved. It's, it's hard for you to famine this. This won't fit in your theological test tube. Some of you are going to balk right now. You're going to balk right here. You see, I got saved on Sunday morning and announced my call to preach Sunday night, preached my first message two days later on Wednesday night. You say it don't work like that. Well, you better tell God that it's been working in my life ever since then. Now, you say that's not theologically sound. Well, now, you wait a minute. God told Jeremiah, he said, before I ever formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nation. I want you to know what he told this. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. 
What about that? He had a Baptist shouting spell in his mother's womb before he was ever born. Listen, Mary come over there to her cousin Elizabeth and said, I'm a child and I'm the child of the Holy Ghost. And John just leaped in his mother's womb and had a Baptist fit, brother, before he was ever born. Now... I got saved and started preaching, and then I felt like God was dealing with me about going full-time into the ministry. Had a little overhead, uh, living at home, and I remember telling my Methodist boss that I turned in a two-week notice. I said, I'm, I'm giving up my job. I'm resigning. Uh, he said, what are you going to do? Uh, I said, God's called me to preach. Uh, God's called me into evangelism, uh, and I'm going to step out and believe God. Uh, he said, boy, God don't mean for you to do that. Uh, he said, you'll starve to death. Uh, hey, friend, look me over. Uh, this is about a 48 size Now I'm on a diet. Uh, I'm going to listen. Hey, uh, the Bible said they that put their trust in the Lord shall be made fat. I don't know about you skinny folk. Oh, it's what the book said. They that I know it's probably talking about a different kind of fat, but just let me claim that verse, all right? Yes. I've been on a diet that ever since I got saved. God's been so good to me. They said the Bible said you shall eat the fat of the land. You go ahead and live on leeks and onions and melons and garlics. I'm going to eat the fat of the land, brother. Hey, they said, you'll starve to death. You won't be able to pay your bills. By the good grace of God, I've never missed a bill. God's paid every bill up to now. And I don't believe God's going to run out on me now. No, I'm talking about surrendering to the will of God. You have to make that decision. I had a good job. I've been working there for a number of years. Robert Shaw and Fulton, the big factory. They had good insurance and all that stuff. And just said Goodbye. Said goodbye, brother, and shouted when I got to get out of there. And all down through these years, you see, God's been supplying that decision in the valley of decision about surrendering to the will of God. And then I could go on there in the valley of decision, things you must make decisions about, surrendering to the will of God, the work of God. Now, I'll say this, three greatest decisions you'll ever make. Number one, well, who's going to be life's? Master, Who is going to be life's master in your life? That's the decision about salvation. Another great decision is who's going to be your life's mate. Yes. Amen. You better pray about that. You sure better pray about that. I was 28 years old when I got married. Look at me. Some of you young girls and young boys, you're about 16 years old. Thank you. are going to be an old maid and a bachelor. I was 28 years old, and I got saved at 24. I was engaged to get married. We broke that off, said goodbye. And four years, I just went and preached, went and preached. And I about made up my mind I was going to be trying to be like Dr. Percy Ray. I just said, I'm just not going to get married. And some of the old-time preachers come to me and said, now, you may be kind of boxing God out. They said, God may want to give you a wife. I said, all right, I'll pray. If God wants me to have one, he'll have to give her to me. I ain't got enough sense to find her. I wouldn't know the right one. So I was preaching revival meeting in Bethel Baptist Church in Jacksboro, Tennessee for old Brother Stinnett Blue. And the meeting broke out and went two weeks. Man, I mean, it broke out. And this girl been up in the choir every night. She'd sung specials with the little girls' quartet there. And she did nothing, nothing, nothing. But it broke out and went to 
second week in those Sunday night, I looked up in the choir and the Holy Ghost said, there's your wife. And he smote my heart. I don't believe in Cupid, but the Holy Ghost shot an iron of love. Them old timers said, your heart will flip and it'll never flip back. I was 28 years old. I said, I don't believe no such stuff. I don't believe such stuff like that. But my heart flipped and it ain't never flipped back. And God, give me the right one. Hey, you better pray. You better pray about who's going to be your life's mate. Life's mission, brother. What's God's plan for your life? What is God's plan for your life? Wouldn't it be horrible to get to the judgment seat of Christ and face the Lord Jesus and not have been in the will of God and have missed the will of God for your life? Oh, listen. Listen. Do you know the will of God for your life? Do you know that you're in the perfect will of God, that complete will of God for your life? Up over our mantle there, that old, we've got an old wood-burning stove, and up over the mantle I've got a plaque up there that a boy made me. It says, where God guides, God will provide. Down through the years, he's been faithful to that. There's some decisions that must be made in the valley of decision. You see, that's where the sinner's at. If they're under conviction and being dealt with, they're down in that valley, brother. They're torn. The flesh says, put it off. The Spirit of God saying, now, today's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. And you must make the decision. All right? There's the valley of decision. But let me go a little further. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have another valley here. The Bible teaches us in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 2. When Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah. The Bible said, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. I call this the valley of depression. The valley of discouragement and defeat. Oh, yes. You know what was going on there in the valley of Elah? On one side is the nation of Israel. On this side is the Philistines. Every morning, every afternoon, there came Goliath. That uncircumcised Philistine, I can see his old bushy, mangy hair. He comes down through there and he's a cussing and defying the God of Israel. And he said, Stop! Give me a man. Give me somebody to fight with me. If I defeat your man, you'll be our servants. And if your man whips me, we'll be your servants. Hey, they wouldn't know about Saul was a head and shoulders taller than anybody else. Saul wouldn't go. David's brothers were afraid to go. And there they were. They pitched the battle in array in the valley of Elah. Discouraged, defeated. But on the back side, on the back side of the desert, God had a man. God had a man. Jesse called for David and said, David, come in, son. I want you to go down and check on the battle. Check on your brothers. I take these cheeses to the captains and these groceries down there. Boy, that encouraged David's heart. I mean, he was a warrior at heart. He wanted to go see about the battle. And he got his little cart and he headed off down through there. And the Bible said when he... He was a warrior at heart. He wanted to go see about the battle. And he got his little cart, and he headed off down through there. And the Bible said when he got out of his little cart, he shouted for the battle. Don't you know that unnerved his brothers? I mean, what what he said, maybe he said, Glory to the God of hosts. Glory to the great God of Israel. And he shouted. And they looked at him like saying, Boy, what are you shouting about? Don't you know we're defeated? We're discouraged? Don't you know this is probably the last days we're ever going to live? Don't you know where we're at, David? Why are you shouting for? 
I've been around a lot of people like that. You let a young man come in on fire and full of God and shouting. Some of the old timers look at him. Well, he'll cool off after a while. He'll settle down after a while. Oh, you say, well, don't you know, preacher, it's the last days. Don't you know the enemies are writing and are raving? But wait a minute, the Lord's still on the throne. About that time, somebody says, shh. Here he comes. Boom, boom, walking out through there. Old Goliath and a cussing. Cussing and a ranting and a raving. Boy, David's blood begins to boil. And David looks around and said, Is there not a cause? He said, You get word to Saul. I'll go fight this uncircumcised man. You get word to Saul. I'll take him on. And almost hear David's brother saying, David, don't start nothing now. David, please don't start nothing. And they carry him up there to Saul. Dr. Seitler said he was redheaded and freckled faced. Because the Bible said he was ruddy of complexion. And there he stands before Saul. Saul puts his armor on him. That'd be like one of these little boys with Billy Kelly's come on. Dragging the ground and a spear and a sword. David took that stuff off. He said, Saul, I ain't never proved that. But he said, I've got a little slingshot here. And I'm going to stop down with that brook and get me five smooth stones. Somebody said, why did he need five? Was he afraid of missing? No, Goliath had four brothers. And he meant to whip the whole family if they showed up. He got in there and got him five smooth stones, a numerical number of grace. He said, grace will handle this giant. I'd like to believe this. He comes walking out there, and Goliath said, I'll feed your carcass to the feathered fowl, boy. And old David said, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear. I come to thee in the name of the Lord God of Israel. I'd like to believe, but he wound her up one time for God the Father, one time for God the Son, and a third time for God the Holy Ghost. And let her rip. Spirit of God settled down on that old stone. Goliath probably thrown his head back and began to laugh. And it smiled in the forehead. And there he goes, falling backwards. And boom! That dust boils up in the air. They're in their foxholes. They're in their bunkers. And they're saying, where's David? Where's David? And listen, all the time that smoke's a clearing. David pulls out the last sword. And Well, you say, preacher, you just don't know where I'm at. You just don't know what I'm going through. Now, I'm not memonizing depression, brother. Depression is real. Depression is real. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible said the battle is the Lord's. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Praise God in that valley of defeat and valley of depression. God showed up. God manifested Himself. I heard about a colored preacher one time, an old colored preacher. He come in before his church and he was discouraged and defeated and depressed. And he said, Church, I was resigning. They said, Apostle, what are you going to do for a living? He said, I was going into the mortician business. And man, them eyes got big. They said, Apostle, why are you resigning? And he said, well, I guess the church nails down over here and it jumps up over here. I get it nails down over here and it jumps up over there. I said, I get your nails down at both ends and you buck up in the middle. He said, I've had it. And they said, well, why would you choose the mortician business? He said, because next time I get you straightened out, he said, you're going to stay straightened out. 
Now, he knew what it was to be defeated and depressed and discouraged. Uh, you've been there too. Don't look so spiritual to me. Uh, I mean, you've been there when you felt like you could crawl under a wagon rut. Uh, you've been there when you felt like you could sit on the carpet and dangle your feet off. But hey, wait a minute. I mean, in those times of depression and defeat and discouragement, that's a good place for God to show up and manifest Himself. Bring you through that valley. Bring you through that. Oh, I go to a third Bible valley. It's the valley of Achor. I'm not going to take time to read, but in Joshua chapter 7, you're familiar with the story. They come in, they took the city of Jericho. They marched around seven times. You know the story. On the seventh day, they marched seven times. You know the story. And they shouted and the walls fell. They shouted by faith. You hear me? They shouted before the victory. They shouted before the battle. They shouted before anything. You can't get Baptists to shout. Most of them after the victory's done been won. And they shouted by faith. Shout, and the walls came tumbling down. But you know what happened? Achan took the accursed thing, didn't he? He took 200 shackles of silver, a wedge of gold, and a Babylonian garment. He hid it in his tent. And the Bible said that they went up to take the little city of Ai. They just sent 3,000 men. They didn't even bother to pray about it. They just sent 3,000 men, wiped this detail up. They come running back, said we've lost 36 men. 36 men! Joshua died! Hey, by the way, somebody may be saying, well, I can see and it won't affect nobody but me. You talk to Achan about that, brother. It affected Achan's family. It affected Achan's friends. It affected listen, Achan's nation. I mean, they were, they were put to shame. And finally, they brought him by by the tribes and families. And finally, Achan confessed. And you know the story. They carried him out to the valley of Achor. And they stoned him to death out there. They stoned Achan. They stoned Mizra's Achan. They stoned the little Achans. They stoned and burnt with fire everything Achan had, brother. No man lived to himself and no man died to himself. But what I see here, you see, this is the valley of Achor. I call this the valley of destruction. Now, it looked like God had brought Israel out here to be defeated and humiliated by the enemy. Have you lived long enough yet to feel like all four walls were closing in and the ceiling was coming down and the floor was coming up? Have you ever felt that sensation? Have you ever had... Have you ever had the demons and the hordes of hell? Have you ever had the flesh to say, you're going to be destroyed, you're not going to make it, we'll get you... Have you ever had that yet? You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I talked to a valley of destruction, brother. In the valley of destruction. I've thought about many men. Old brother Job went through that. Joseph went through that. You know what? Even if you was looking through natural eyes, as the Lord Jesus Christ hung at Calvary's cross, and over his head was the caption that said, This is the King of the Jews. With natural eyes, you would have looked at Jesus and said, This is destruction. This is horrible. This ought not to be. It looked like he was totally being destroyed. But I read one day in Hosea 2.15, the Bible said, The valley of Achor for a door of hope. The valley of Achor for a door of hope. You know what was happening on that cross? Jesus was kicking a door of hope open so that every one of us could come through that door. Oh, yes. Down there in the valley of Achor, God judged that sin. And a door of hope was open. That a way could be made for Israel. I thought about that old song that we often sing. And I've heard sung down through the years. I never knew the meaning behind it, really. I knew the song. The song used to sing, they used to sing about. It is well, it is well with my soul when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Many of those old time songs, friend, were birthed out of valleys and hard places. 
Mr. H.G. Spatford wrote that song. Mr. Spatford lived in the days of the great Chicago fire in D.L. Moody's day when Chicago burned to the ground. He lost his home. He lost everything he had. He took his wife, four infant daughters, put them on an ocean liner, and secured passage for them to go to England to stay with relatives until he could put things together. He went back to Chicago. He tried to get things. The charred runs it was all gone. And then he got word. He found out and got word that the ocean liner his family was on had had a collision and many lives had been lost. Oh, listen, he got a telegram that came with two words in it. Two words from his wife that said, Save alone. Save alone. And you know what that meant? It meant his four little infant daughters had perished in that terrible tragedy. He secured passage on the next ocean ladder going to England to comfort his wife and be with her. Lost his home. Lost four little baby daughters. And on that ocean ladder, he talked to the captain and he said, Are we going the same course as my family were on? The captain said, It's best we can tell. He said, Sir, when you get to the place where you think the boat went down, where the accident took place, he said, Will you awaken me? The captain said, I'll do it, Mr. Spafford. The story said in the wee hours of the morning, the knock came. The knock came. And he got up. And went upstairs and probably asked to be alone. Can you see this man as he looks over into the dark waters, those cold waters? He looks down into the graveyard of his four little baby daughters. Can't you hear the devil saying, where's your God at now, Mr. Spadford? You've lost your home. You've lost your daughters. Where's your God? But you know what he did that night? He turned, no doubt tears and a broken heart. And he went down into his cabin. And that night he wrote the song, It is well, it is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, thou hast taught me whatever my lot. Just say it is well. It is well with my soul. You know what happened in that valley? The God of heaven showed up, brother. The God of all comfort showed up and comforted that man in that dark, dark valley. Oh, Dr. Charles Weigel, who wrote the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. I've got that old testimony of Dr. Weigel. I've got the old testimony where he told how his wife left him. He would go out and tour and preach and sing. And he'd be gone for two or three weeks at a time. And she said, Charles, if you ever leave me again, she said, I'll leave you. I'll leave you, Charles. And he said, he said, honey, I must obey the higher call. I must go preach. When he left, I've been there in Miami. I've been to the seashore right there. We stayed there one night. And there is a long uh, pillar thing that goes out in the water, a long railing that goes out there. And we were there that night. And the story goes, he came back from that meeting. He came back from that tour. And he came back and the house was might near empty. The piano was left and a chair was left and a note was left there. And it said, Charles, I told you if you ever left me again, I'd leave you. She said, don't look for me. We're gone. We're gone, Charles. He stepped out into that dark night, got out on the seashore and walked up and down. The story, when he got out there and he walked out on the edge of, of that thing like a, like a reef out through there. And he got out there on the tall end of it, the railing out there. And he was so depressed. He was so discouraged. And he took one foot and threw it across the rail and he started to commit suicide. Dr. Weigel got ready to dive off into those waters and just drowned. And he said, all of a sudden, the sweet Holy Ghost said, Charles... Charles, no one ever cared for you like Jesus. Turned around and run back to the house. In 27 minutes, something like 27 minutes, he wrote that song. No one ever cared for you like Jesus. Hey, listen to me. Listen to me. There's the valley of seemingly destruction. Seems like there's no way out. 
Seems like you're going to be destroyed right there. But wait a minute. Let me read this to you. Psalms 107 verse 25. For he, that's God, commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. Have you ever been there yet? Have you ever felt like your little ship of life was being tossed and about to be sunken? And you're at your wit's end. You don't know where to turn. The Bible said in verse 25. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, and He bringeth them into their desired haven. Oh, listen, God may allow the wind, the storm to blow, and the hard rain to come, and it may look like destruction, but God will make a way. God will open a door of hope. God will see you through. The valley of destruction. It will happen, friend. You wait on God if you stay with God. Sometimes we want to say, Why, God? Why did you let this valley come? And we want to say, God, get me out! God, get me out of this valley! But sometimes we might ought to ask, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this valley? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? What are you trying to work in me, Lord? What are you saying, Lord? I remember a story, and I don't have time to get through this thing. I, it ought to be a series, I guess. I don't know. But I heard the story one time. I was reading a book, and it was a fictional story about like a piece of wood could talk. A piece of wood could talk, and it had an old farmer with his barlow knife out. He was cutting on that piece of wood. Willing, the piece of wood said, you're hurting me, sir. He said, please don't cut on me. That hurts. You're, you're raking on me. Cut, please, sir. And the farmer just kept a cutting on that piece of wood and a cutting. And finally folded up his barlow knife. He made a little old bitty crude flute. He began to blow amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And the little piece of wood said, thank you, sir, for cutting on me. You see, through these cutting experiences, it's through these crises experiences, that God is molding us and making us more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there's the valley of Acor, the valley of destruction. Maybe you're there tonight. Maybe you're going through a time of physical, seemingly physical destruction, marital destruction, financial destruction. I don't know. I don't know. But you know, sometimes we want to say, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. But you know, we need to wait a minute. Are we not just pilgrims and strangers right. down here? This world is not our home. Amen. And if God chooses, He's not so much inter- interested in our comfort as He is our being conformed yes. to the image of Christ. He's not hurting us. No, He's making us. Amen. That's it. If we could only keep the perspective in view that all of these things are coming to make me more like Christ. I thought about this. I'm hurrying to the close. Psalms 84, verse number 6. Here's another, the fourth Bible valley. The Bible said, this is David speaking now, who passing through, notice the wording, who passing through the valley of, the valley of Baca, B-A-C-A, maketh it a well, and the rain also filleth the pools. I looked that word back up one day. It means the weeper or the weeping one. I call this the valley of despair. The valley of weeping, the valley of sorrow. Oh, listen, David knew what it was to have a broken heart time and time and time again. But notice what he said, who passing through the valley of Baca maketh maketh it a well. What is a well? 
The well is a place where somebody else can get a good drink. It's where somebody else can receive some refreshment. Would to God that my valley experiences might become a well for somebody else that's traveling through to get a good drink. That I could run back to him and say, I know where you're at. I've been right there. And God brought me through that. And he'll help you. Who passing through the valley of Baca maketh it a well. The rain, the rain also filleth the pools. Yes. The valley of despair. The valley of weeping. You see, for many years, I couldn't really sympathize with people. I couldn't sympathize with losing a loved one until God called my dad home. Fifteen years ago yesterday, May the 6th, 1976, God reached down in our family and took Daddy home. I remember in 67, Dad was preaching more meetings than he ever preached. 67 was when my little sister Susan was born. And we found out Mother had cancer. They gave her cobalt, radium, chemotherapy, and we thought we was going to lose Mother. And I remember Dad sitting out under the old maple tree out there with the big Bible in his lap. Tears just coming down his cheeks. Don't you know the devils came by and said, Jim, where's your God at now? You've been preaching and traveling. Here's your wife about to die of cancer. But God saw us through that valley experience, and Mom's still with us. To God be the glory. But then, in May, May the 6th, 1976, 45 years old, a picture of hell. Dad come down. He had colon cancer. And I remember I was the last one to see him a quarter after nine till 9.30 on that Friday night. And I stayed with him in intensive care. He was asking me, did I love him? I was 24 years old. I was a rebel. I was running from God. I knew what was going on here. God was setting my barley field on fire. God was dealing with me. But finally that night we left and I went to work. I remember when the guard came by and tapped me on the shoulder and he said, call the hospital. Daddy went home to be with the Lord. I remember we got home that morning about 5.30. My little brother was 13 years old. He and Daddy were awful close. Now, I remember when I woke Jim Bo up, preacher Jimmy Langston was standing there, and I said, Jim Bo, he knew what had happened. I said, Jim Bo, Dad's gone to be with the Lord. I saw that little 13-year-old boy fall off the prefaces, fall down in that dark, dark valley. He just began to squall, cry, and bawl, and all of a sudden, he just stopped, and he rubbed his eyes like this, and he said, I ain't crying no more. Preacher Langston said, go ahead, Jim Boyd, to relieve you, to help you. He said, I ain't crying no more. He said, my daddy told me if I ever heard he was dead, he was more alive then than he ever had been. He said, I ain't crying no more. You know, I just kind of believe the God of all valleys, the God of all comfort, rest down and help that little 13-year-old boy in that valley. Hey, friend, I've been there. I've been there. Many of you followed that hearse. You followed that hearse down there. You've had to plant a loved one beneath the sod and say goodbye here. Oh, but I'm glad it's not goodbye. It's just so long. We'll see you in the morning. Meet you in the morning when the resurrection takes place. But listen to me, folk. There's the valley of despair. There'll be times when there'll be weeping, sadness, and sorrow. But aren't you glad that the psalmist David said in Psalms 30 and verse 5, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning. Tears are a language that God understands. You know what he's doing now? Psalms 56 verse 8 said, Thou, he's bottling up our tears. He's bottling them up. Why, you thought they fell in the carpet. You thought they fell into your handkerchief. You thought they fell in the lapel of your coat. Hey, God's bottling them up. Right now he's bottling them. But Revelation 21, 8, one day he's going to pull out his omnipotent handkerchief and wipe away all tears from our eyes. I'm glad we're going to a land free. Well, 
her tears will be an unwelcome sight. No more suffering. No more sadness. No more separation. No more sorrow. No, no. No. There is those valleys of despair. Valleys of despair. I'm thinking about an old sister back in our neck of the woods there. Sister Kathleen. Sister Kathleen Branch. Her daddy, Brother Henry Branch, about an 80-year-old man when he died, and he'd shout to victory, couldn't read a word in the Bible. Carried a big and one big as a worst of. Couldn't read a word in it. He'd come in the back door of our old church and hold it up like that. Tears coming down his eyes. Had a four-room little old house. Just he and his wife never had a television. Didn't know nothing about the world much. But, buddy, he knew God. That old man knew God. He'd come in there and he'd hold that Bible up, and then he'd take it and he'd kiss it. And he'd begin to shout to victory. You'd be a preacher. He'd jump up and he'd kiss it and say, I can't read a word of it, but you're blessing my soul, preacher. Preach on, preach on. He's got a daughter named Kathleen. Kathleen's about 60-something now. And she's had hip replacements and everything. We had to help her in the church here a while back. She come in a hobbling on a cane, had a hip replacement. Glory to God fell. And I saw that woman running up and down the aisles with a hip replacement, shouting the glory. You say, I don't believe such stuff. I was there. I saw it. She is a shouting of victory, brother. Listen, well, what happened years ago? Her husband died. Her husband died. Kathleen's a real prayer warrior. She's real close to God. She's one of them old time ladies wears her hair back in a bun on the back of her head. Real. Christian-like dress, modest apparel, brother. You don't see her. She wears those sleeves down here. I mean, she just out that old school, you know. She was raised that way. Her husband died, and the family said, Kathleen, we'll go with you. She had a little mountain cottage up there near Pigeon Forge. She said, they said, we'll go with you and stay a couple nights. She said, no, I'm going to face this by myself. She said, me and the Lord's going to face this. It'll be all right, children. And she went up there, and she said she got to that little old picket fence light, got through it, and got the old skeleton key out, and stuck it in the old door. She said she began to really have some second thoughts right then. She said, I'm going to see the chair where he sat. I'm going to see the kitchen table where he sat. She said, I'm going to see his picture up there. And she said, Lord, how am I going to make it? And she just mustered up her faith and she turned that old kid. And she opened the door and she said, Kathleen said, it was as though there was a voice from eternity that said, Kathleen, Kathleen, I'll never leave thee and I'll never forsake thee. Oh, listen, in her valley of despair, guess what? The Lord showed up. The Lord showed up. I close now with the fifth Bible valley. Very familiar passage of Scripture, Psalms 23, verse number 4. That great psalm, Psalm 23. David now is not a young man no more. He's an older man. He's reminiscing about his young days of working in the sheepfold, taking him from the lower ground to the higher ground. He comes to verse number 4 and he said, Yea, that's affirmative. Yea, the why, that's personal. Yea, the why, walk, that's positive. He's saying, I have to stagger. He's saying, I have to crawl. Yea, the why, walk through. The valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about how he used to take those lambs up to the higher grounds. And they'd come in between them valleys and mountains up there. The jackal, the hyena, the bear would roar out. Them little defenseless lambs would raise their little timid heads. But they wasn't afraid. You know why? They seen the rod swinging from David's side. They saw the staff in David's hand. And, and they knew that their shepherd would fight for them if need be, die for them. 
Now, David's an older man. He's coming down to the valley of the shadow of death. But he said, wait a minute. He said, it's just a shadow. He said, I won't have to fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou art with me. I was reading one day, and Dr. Mr. Spurgeon said, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the shadows, shadows of a bee can't sting you. Shadow of a gun can't shoot you. Shadow of a knife can't hurt you. He said, the shadow of death ain't going to have no harm upon us. Oh, no. I was reading this afternoon, no brother Vance having her. He said, it's the passageway. He said, it is the passport. He said, to paradise. He said, that's what death is. It's the passport to paradise. I got to think about it. I almost shouted in there in that motel room this afternoon reading old Vance's book. And I got to think about it. That's really what it is. It's the passport from this world to the next. One man said death is just the closet where we step in and unchange and disrobe and move into the next world. Oh, listen. Shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, tonight I'm holding my hand over this pulpit, this rostrum, and there's a shadow right down here. There's my hand. There's substance here, but up here it's light. You see, and there's a shadow across this here. One of these days, one of these days, I am going, if the Lord don't come, I'll enter into that valley of the shadow of death. I'll come down to that place. But you know what? It'll only be a shadow. Now listen, the death angel will be there. Not just physical death, but the eternal death angel will be there. But will like to carry my soul off to hell. Drag it to the pit, to the abyss. But you know what? I can see someone saying, hands off. Hands off. And there's light across the presence of death. And it's the Son of God. I'm talking about, I believe. Oh, Dad used to sing that old song, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died on my sin to atone. When the darkness I see, He'll be waiting on me. And I won't have to cross Jordan. You say, preacher, what do you know about it? You're a young man. You've not been there yet. No, sir. No, ma'am, I've not. But I've been there with others. I have been there with others. I have lived long enough to be with some as they were about to make the crossing. I got the call a few years ago. An older preacher in our community had had a severe stroke. He was paralyzed on one whole side. They were taking him to the emergency room. He called the family, called for me. I got there. They were bringing him out of the ambulance, taking him into the emergency room. And the family said, stop it. Stop him right here. He wants to say something to this preacher. And the doctor said he may die. They said, stop him. Let him talk. And this whole side was paralyzed. He began to try to murmur out this side of his mouth. And I got down over him. He said, in all this, I've not sinned nor charged God foolishly yet. And he just kind of winked at me. Just a twinkle in his eye. A couple more hours. He's gone, brother. He done made the crossing. Done skipped out. Done skipped out. Remember when Dad, I left him at 9.15 to 9.30 that night. That was on Friday, Saturday morning, early, 1.30 they called me. And I got there two miles from the hospital. I got there. When I left Daddy, I, I mean, sweat was a poured off of him. He was begging me for something to drink. But I got there and they just wrote him out in intensive care and put him in a little old room. And, and I run in there. And before God, there was a peace and a serenity. And, and there was just a smile across his face. And, and I can look back now and listen. When I was there, it wasn't dying time yet. It was a few more hours down the road. But when it was time to make the cross, and God's grace was sufficient there. Oh, preacher Jim Lowe that I told you about the other night. Preacher Lowe that had his legs chopped off. I was talking about preacher Lowe. Might near blind, got in that roll off New Testament Bible, had everything he had, rolled a wheel to brother roll off. Harry loved preacher roll off. And I'd run over that man, they'd shout the victory and all that, but he came down to die. Came down to die. They were both in the hospital. Sister Lowe was in one bed, preacher Lowe was in the other. St. Mary's Hospital. I went there, my pastor was there, and Deacon Harvey King was there. 
And Preacher Lowe had already begun the fluid backing up in his lungs. And he was gurgling some as he tried to talk. He said, would you boys set me up? Set me up. We propped him up with some pillars. And he said, Buster, he said, you better get your shouting shoes on or your funeral message ready. He said, either the Lord Jesus is coming back after all of us. Or he said, I'm getting ready to make the crossing. I began to cry. And I said, Preacher Lowe, you can't leave me. He was my prayer warrior. I, he called me sometimes said, how meeting's going? I'd say, they're kind of slow, preacher. He said, we'll talk to the Father about that. And before God, the phone would start ranging and meetings would start coming in. I remember one time he said, how's the old car doing? I said, it's got about 150-something thousand miles on it. He just stopped talking to me and he said, now, Father, I couldn't drive one if I had one. He said, Lord, you know I ain't got no legs. He said, I'm going to be one of the only preachers to go up a piece at a time, here a piece and there a piece. But he said, my boy, he said, my preacher boy needs a car. What long after that that God worked it out and I was able to get another car. Hey, he could pray, brother. He knew God. They came down to dine. He propped him up in there. He said, I'm going to sing you boys a song. I said, what you going to sing, Preacher Lowe? And he began to sing, How Great Thou Art. I tell you, I never felt like running and shouting. We did shout, but I felt like running. I knew if I did, it would wind up on the eighth floor. They put me in that psychiatric hospital. Man, I, I don't, and I know angels ain't got wings, but if they had wings, I got a mouth full of feathers that day, buddy. I'm telling you the glory of God. Sister Wani just sit up in the bed, got the clap of them little old hands. The preacher was a singer. How great thou art. Finally he had to stop and lean down. He kissed me on the cheek. He said, I'll see you. He said, I'll see you. Three days I had to go from there. I left to go to America's Georgia. My pastor called me one night. He was crying. He said, he made a crossing. He said, you've got to come home and help us with the funeral. He said, you want me to tell you what he said last? You want me to tell you now? What do you get home? I said, Lord, no. Tell me now. i got to know. He said, he went into a coma. He said, he was kind of coming and going. He said, just before he died, he was murmuring and talking. He said, I got over him. He said, he was saying, come, sweet Jesus. Come, sweet Jesus, come. And right after that, whew, he was gone. Slipped right on out, brother. Well, brother Doug McDarris, good friend of mine, pastoring now in Mississippi. Brother Doug's daddy was Ozeb McDarris. Ozeb used to pastor two or three churches up there in the mountains. Oh, mountaineer exhorter. He had just shouted a victory and sang them old mountain songs. He came down to die. He came down sick and they had him in the hospital. And the family would come by, Brother Doug, and brothers and sisters, and they'd say, Dad, how you doing? They'd say, Children, I ain't doing no good. I ain't doing no good. And they said to the doctor, not being good, the nurse is not being good. Oh, he said, it's not that. They said, what's wrong, Daddy? He said, Children, I've been walking up and down the banks of the river, and I can't find no place to cross. He said, I ain't doing no good. And boy, they, they knew something was getting close then. And another day or two, they came in, and he was getting weaker now, and he was just getting more weak every day. And they come by one day, and Brother Doug said he stopped by and saw his daddy. He said, Daddy, how you doing today? So he was real weak. So he had a glow in his eyes, a smile on his face. He said, Son, I'm a doing fine. I'm a doing fine. He said, What about it, Daddy? He said, Son, this morning I found the place to cross. He said, This morning, son, I found the place to cross. They called all the family in that night. They knew what was coming down. They knew what was getting ready to happen. He slipped out into a coma. They were just kind of standing around, you know. He'd come and go a little bit. At the last, right, just that to last, he sat up in the bed and propped him. They helped prop him up. He said, children, can you see him? Children, can you see him? They said, no, Dad, we can't see him. He said, children, they've come to get me. And he said, my feet's in the water and I've got to go. And he waved goodbye and just, he was gone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Mr. Watchman Nee, that great Chinese preacher. Mr. Watchman Nee, I was reading one of his books one day, and he said in his early ministry, he said, God 
Heavenly Father, I want the very best you have for watchmen me. Give me the very best, Lord. You know what happened right after that? Everything went haywire. Everything went wrong. All kind of reversements and problems. He went back to God in prayer and he was crying and he said, Dear God, I thought I asked for your best. What's happening? He said, The Holy Spirit said, Watchman me, this is God's very best to make you to be the very best for God. Hey, friend, haven't we asked God to use us? Haven't we asked God to anoint us with power? Haven't we asked God to let us bring glory to Him? Sometimes He takes the millstone of suffering and He runs it across us and He grinds us to powder to make bread out of us to feed hungry souls. I could go on. There's the friend in the valley. There's the friend in that valley. And there's the future of the valleys. One day you're going to go through your last valley. (laughs) Go through the last valley, brother. Step out on the mountain of all mountains in glory land. In Canaan's land, brother, on the other side. I want them to come tonight. You come and get a song of invitation ready. I don't know what to do now. We'll just come tonight and play something. Sing a verse in a moment, maybe. I come down to a close now. I heard this illustration. It's very relevant to what I'm talking about. Up in the mountains, there was an old mountain grandmother. And she had her babysitting her granddaughter that day. She had her quilting loom up. She was piecing some quilts, you know, and patching some quilt together there and working. And she had it up on that table like, and she was up on a stool, and little granddaughter was playing down the floor. And about an hour or so went by, and little granddaughter looked up and said, Mamma, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. All she could see, you know, was where Mamma clipped this, and she tied this off, and the little cut edges, you know, jagged edges, and Mamma didn't pay attention. She just kept on working, you know, and piecing and patching that quilt together. And a little more time went by, and the little granddaughter said, Mamma, it's getting worse. It looks worse than it ever did. And she said, Honey, she put her needle down. She said, Come up here. She got the granddaughter up into her lap. And the little granddaughter looked down, and she saw the picture. She saw what all was being put together. And she said, Granny, it's beautiful. She said, Well, Mamma, it's beautiful. And she said, Mamma, why couldn't I see that from down there? She said, she said Honey, she said she was looking from the wrong side. Said you was looking from the bottom side up. You ever looked up? Here's some here's a broken edge here. Here's some tattered ends here. Maybe here's a little child that died, or a husband, or a wife, or some problem. You don't understand. You don't understand. It looks bad. It looks bad. Oh, when we get on the other side. When we get on the other side, the Holy Ghost lets us look back. We're going to say, you mean, God, that's what that was all about? You mean, Lord, this was what you was doing in my life? Now we're looking from the bottom side. One day we'll get to look from the other side. Are you in the valley tonight? Are you in the valley? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Do you need help? I'm so glad that he's the God of all the valleys. You know, sometimes, just every now and then, I need to make a trip to just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the valley. Thank you that you love me enough, that you've concerned me about me enough to make me more like Christ. Thank you for the valley. Let's bow our heads tonight. I'm preaching. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. They're playing softly tonight. I don't know where you're at in your Christian life. I felt deeply impressed to preach this this afternoon as I prayed and waited before the Lord. 
I wonder if there'd be somebody tonight who said, Preacher, seat and God sent that message for me. God spoke to my heart tonight, Preacher. I'm in the valley. Some things I'm going through, Preacher, and God's helped me tonight. He's working in my life. Please help me to pray, Preacher, that I'll do right in the valley. That I'll not pull away from God. You know, if we're not careful, the devil will tell us God doesn't love us and God's mad at us and, and we'll let the, the valley experience drive us away from God instead of letting it draw us to God. I wonder if there'd be one that said, Preacher, pray for me. God spoke to my heart tonight. Is there one anywhere here tonight in this service? Preacher, pray for me. I'm in the valley. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Somebody else? God bless you, son. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. I'm glad you... God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. Listen, Jesus is a friend that understands. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Well, if we're not real careful, we'll begin to let bitterness get...